Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. So as you've heard John say earlier this Sunday, today marks the last Sunday of our Christian calendar. Next week is the first week of Advent. This is the beginning of our journey towards the birth of Christ on Christmas next week. So here at Hillhurst on this last Sunday of the Christmas year marks the introduction of our stewardship month. This is a call to generosity of spirit so that we can continue to do this countercultural work we do in this place. Now, if you were in the Church of England, traditionally, this Sunday would be called Stir Up Sunday. They read a collect, the Anglican Church, a prayer of the day that says this, Stir up, we beseech thee, O Lord, the wills of thy faithful people, that they, plenteously bringing forth the fruit of good works, may of thee be plenteously rewarded. Stir up. And while this beautiful prayer, if you could follow the these and thys, is supposed to stir up that sense of generosity, it was also taken to be a reminder for all of the good English housewives to go home and stir up their Christmas pudding, which took three weeks to set and cure. So if you are someone that likes Christmas cake, Christmas pudding, that is your reminder, stir up. In churches around the world that follow the lectionary, sometimes that's us, This Sunday is called Reign of Christ Sunday. It's a Sunday that we remind ourselves that Jesus, resurrected and seated at the right hand of God, is the one we give our loyalty to. Not the powers of the world, but the powers of love. However, the church you attend, this one here, another one around the world, approaches this Sunday. There is one thing they all have in common. On this last day of the Christian year, we remember that as followers of Jesus, we do things a little differently, especially as we head into the season of Advent. And it all starts with our preparation. We start now preparing our hearts for the story that is to come. We start now before Advent arrives next Sunday. Those feelings that came up for some of us as I prattled off those seasonal questions, worry, stress, anxiety, grief, overwhelm, those are not, those are not the feelings of flourishing. Those are not the feelings that God dared to inspire when arriving in flesh and blood and bone to a 33-year funeral march. Those are not the feelings of joy to the world. Those are the feelings of woe in this world. And so if we're going to do things differently this Advent, we need to prepare accordingly. My friend Kate calls it an adventure. Advent in capital letters, U-R-E in little letters. How are we going to journey differently, weirdly, spiritually, counterculturally this Advent season? How are we going to prepare our hearts so that as bombs continue to fly in a place we know as the Holy Land and shopping malls pretend to not notice despite the fact that the reason they're making the sales they are is because of a circumstance born eerily similar? How can we notice God coming close even here 
and even now. Because that noticing, that assurance of holy presence, that is what keeps us strong enough to fight for a different kind of world. And we need that different kind of world. It starts with us. It continues with us. The scripture story today is one that often gets told in passing as part of Mary's story. We usually hear it next week if we hear it at all. Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John, futurely known as John the Baptist, and Mary becomes pregnant with Jesus. And the two of them are in holy cahoots as they prepare to birth a prophecy into the weary world. But as we sit on the cusp of this Advent season, it's worth stopping here with this story alone. Because this is where we prepare ourselves for the preparation that is the season to come. If you look at the opening of all four of our Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, two of them start with the story of the birth of Jesus. They start with Mary's story. But the other two start with the story of John. They are equally important to the narrative. Because if we aren't prepared for the possibility, we might miss the prophecy that is to come. If we aren't prepared for the possibility that hope will ring out, that peace will be born, that joy will spring forth, that love will reign. If we aren't prepared for the possibility of reconciliation with our families, with our spouse, with people we have discriminated against, with the land that we use and abuse, if we are not prepared for the possibility, we might miss the invitations to the conversations that might actually lead us there. We have to be prepared. Growing up, my dad used to quote someone, and I don't know who it is, so I'll just attribute it to dad, that said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And as I was preparing for this Sunday, I started to wonder if then blessing is where our preparation, where our preparation meets God's promise. How are we preparing ourselves to receive all that God has promised us, that hope will reign, that peace will ring out, that joy will be found, that love will rule? How are we preparing ourselves for the possibility of that? And speaking for myself, I can say pretty honestly, I'm not. My hand did not go up very many times during that open, opening series of questioning either, partly because I'm a procrastinator, but mostly because the preparation has nothing to do with that stuff. And I'm glad that you're doing it. I will be doing it too. Let's just, it's not one of those sermons. I'll be doing that too. That part's me procrastinating. But the preparation we're talking about in a passage like this is brutally, brutally uncomfortable. It revolves around a word that might momentarily add to that seasonal anxiousness I created. The word is repentance. To prepare our hearts for God to make a difference in them requires making way. A word in our scriptures that often means to turn. To make way is to turn towards something else. It requires repentance. And I want to offer you a definition that changed this word for me. I didn't grow up using this word. My friend Reverend Aaron Miller says that repentance is a commitment 
to doing something qualitatively differently. And then he says, when we move past acknowledging the ways we've fallen short and into living lives of holy rebellion against the death-dealing ways of the world, that is repentance. I'll repeat that. Repentance is living a life of holy rebellion against the death-dealing ways of the world. We are each and every one of us in need of repentance. The first two sermons Jesus ever preached in his ministry after he spent those 40 days in the wilderness with the devil were about repentance. The task given to Zechariah and Elizabeth and later to their son John was that they were to make ready a people prepared. They were to turn the people to face something new. Repentance. Qualitatively different action. And if you hear that word and have been holding your breath since you did, I invite you to let it go. Take one in and let it out. As Frederick Buechner says, the gospel is often bad news before it's good news. This isn't a bad thing. We are not bad beings because we are being called to repent. Our scripture says right at the top of our story, highlights, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all of the commandments and regulations, but... They had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. How often is it that we think I am bad, who I am is being punished for something that is really just a circumstance of this world? Our sins, our turning away from God, that choice you made, that ideology you got swept up in, those things that made you feel all of those ways Laura preached about last Sunday. Those aren't who you are. Those are the circumstances that you are in. Zechariah and Elizabeth were perfectly well-behaved, and still their circumstances weren't what they had hoped. Needing to do things differently is not our failure. It's what can set us free if we turn our hearts around. And so we hear in this story one of the most honest accounts of a divine encounter. Zechariah picks the short straw and is chosen to enter the sanctuary to bless the space and pray. That was the tradition in the Aaronic priestly tradition. And so while he's in the sanctuary alone, an angel appears. And our scripture says very familiar words to us. It says he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. It's funny how often we think we can't bring our fear and trembling into the house of God. I'd burst into flames if I showed up there. That's what people tell me when I meet them at a party and I tell them what I do for a living. (laughs) I don't know if I believe in God. What's the point? Can't go in there. I don't want to change my life. I'm pretty comfortable. This seems good. That might make me change. I don't want to go in there. Fear and trembling. It's funny because the presence of God is exactly where we need to bring our fear and trembling sanctuary. We translate that to say, this is a safe space 
But a sanctuary is a holy place that according to the law, a fugitive could not be caught. That's what a sanctuary was. You go there when you're on your worst behavior. You go there when you are the most ashamed of what you are doing. You go there when you don't know what else to do and you bring all of yourself, all of that fear and that trembling. So if that word, repentance, makes you shudder a little bit, same, and also welcome home. This is the place for it. Whatever Zechariah was experiencing in that moment, and perhaps if he's anything like me, not to say he was, but it would be an, oh God, I'm in trouble. That would be my feeling. That's often my feelings when I come to prayer. The angel says to Zechariah, assures him, no less, no, no. It's okay. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth will have a son. You were heard. It's okay if you're not sure you can change or not sure that you want to. It's okay that you aren't sure any of it's going to make a difference. It's okay if you aren't sure that peace is possible or that a ceasefire is the first step towards peace or hope. It's okay if you aren't sure. It's okay if you don't know how to effectively love your uncle through a conversation about human rights over the Christmas dinner table. It's okay. All of that. It's okay. Your prayer has been heard. Fear or trembling or not, God receives it. And we have a responsibility to prepare. We have a responsibility to turn our hearts towards the one who showed us a different way is, in fact, possible. Prepare. Zechariah, in our story, repents of his old ways, his doubt and his fear, through an assignment given to him by the angel. And I call it an assignment, not a punishment, because of where the story ends. Don't worry, that means we're getting there. <laughs> The angel takes Zechariah's voice away as an assignment, as an adventure in repentance. Zechariah is left with only himself and his experience. He cannot speak to it. He cannot convince people of it. He can't argue about it. And he cannot run from it. All he can do is live into it. And as a result, when Zechariah leaves the sanctuary and greets all the other priests who are now waiting to hear a blessing from him, he can't speak. Instead, he is only able to motion, to live a life that points to what has happened. I had an Instagram follower send me a message a couple days ago asking why I wasn't posting about Palestine. That's all the message said. Why aren't you talking about Palestine? And when I received it, I was filled with all of those woeful feelings, shame, guilt, anger, defensiveness, all of that. You've heard the list. I wanted to defend myself. I wanted to justify it. And I sat with it instead because I'm a holy person. That's my prayer most days. It's not working out. <laughs> and after sitting with it and sitting with this sermon that I was going to preach to you, I responded to them. And all I said was, great question. 
fear. And they double-tapped it, because that's what you do first when you receive a message. That means they liked it. And they responded to me, fear is the only enemy of love. And I laughed out loud because how many times have I had the audacity to say that to somebody else and I'm sitting here like, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Fear is the only enemy of love. And so I did the uncomfortable thing. I said to myself, yeah. Those death-dealing ways of the world, the what will they think and who will I offend and what if I'm not right or what if I'm not good enough? I told those ways to shut up. And I turned towards the only thing in this world I know to be true. Love. And I posted. That's what you have to do in this circumstance. And you bet I did it with fear and trembling. If we mustered all the fear and trembling that we have inside of us right now, if we risked turning that into courage, into doing it anyway, if we took all that we have seen and all that we know to be true and all that we still doubt and all that we have failed at and all that we are assured of and all that we are ashamed of, if we take all those parts of us that have become okay with the death-dealing ways of the world and walked around out there as those people this Advent, that would be a repentance unlike anything the world has seen. And it would be such a powerful start. You are loved. You are forgiven. And you are set free. You hear us say those words every single Sunday. The act of repentance is saying them to yourself and living them with your life. So I'm going to invite us to do that together. I'll invite you to close your eyes or if that doesn't feel safe to stare at the shoulder blades of the person in front of you or just look at me and repeat after me. I am loved. I am forgiven. And I am set free. I am loved. I am forgiven. And I am set free. That's what repentance does. That's what we take with our lives out into the world. We don't have to say a thing. Our lives show that. Our passage says that Zechariah completes his service with the priests. He goes through this assignment of discomfort that the angel has blessed him with, this act of repentance, and he returns home. And our scripture says, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. After those days. Whatever you are going through right now, what the world is going through right now, it is not the end of the story. It doesn't have to be. This is a new beginning if we have the courage to prepare ourselves for it. So walk out into the world fully yourself. Stand up against all that the world demands for you. 
and instead live into all that God declares for you, for us. In the Gospel of John, right at the beginning, it says, I came that all might have life and have it abundantly. And sometimes that sounds really far off. And it will take a mighty, mighty turn. But that's the adventure. So let us prepare ourselves for that, this upcoming season. And then we pray, may it be so. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.